just because you're determined doesn't mean everything's going to go well. Those four people that passed away, were they climbing with you? I'm Bear Grylls, and I've learned how to survive in some of the most hostile terrains on the planet. You really fascinate me for a number of reasons that I actually never knew before I started digging into your story. You certainly had a lot of demons. In the early days of TV especially, there was so much pressure to go and do that and do the extra episode. You end up burning the things that are most valuable. To be successful, you have to sacrifice. But maybe you reach a point where enough's enough. Selection for the Special Forces is all about heart and spirit. And we can all have that. That's not a God-given talent. That's a muscle that builds with walking through the, the door of failure time and time again and keep getting back up. When was your darkest moment? One was when I, when I broke my back and was in rehabilitation for a long time. And, you know, so much of my rock in my life had been that I was physically strong and I was doing a job I loved and suddenly I couldn't even reach the bathroom without excruciating agony. And it was just a, what am I going to do with my life? When is there a time to give up? So without further ado, I'm Stephen Bartlett and this is The Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Ben, I want to start where I usually start, which is near the start. And one of the things you said was you certainly had a lot of demons. You, the quote, the exact quote is, I was never short of demons. When I read that, I thought, well, what, do you, what do you mean? Mm. Growing up, I really struggled with confidence. You know, definitely when I was at school. And I think, uh, you know, I think so much of the school culture still to this day, you know, it, it definitely tends to celebrate the you know, the guy who's academic or sporty or good looking or just a cool guy, you know, and that those are the currency of school. But as you and me know, it's not always the currency of life. And but you try and tell a kid who who maybe isn't sporty or academic, who's just kind and, and does his best, you know, that actually those things have much more value in life. And it's kind of hard to believe. But certainly for me, I didn't, I didn't have, I wasn't the sportive or the most academic or the cool guy. Um, and I think it took me a while to find an identity and actually this is what, you know, this is what I love and it's nothing kind of brilliant, but, but I love it. And for me growing up, it was always climbing with my dad. You know, he'd been a, he'd been a commando and, and loved all of that sort of stuff. And for me growing up, it was always, you know, that's what I love to do, just, just, have many adventures with him and I think it took a while to learn that that's okay you know my dad was always saying you've got to find something you really love and try and be kind to people along the way and be resilient you know have that dogged never give up attitude and that that's a, that's the key for things for life and uh but it's hard to believe that as a kid and sometimes if you get a bit lost in the system um so I suppose what I meant is that took me a while to find the confidence you know and it's still a journey I think we're all on you know I think success doesn't always answer those sort of questions and I think confidence has to come from in here and it's often the opposite of what we think it is when we're growing up you know it's, confidence is quiet and I think that's where that's kind of what I meant. When you say confidence what how do you define confidence because some people think of confidence as this like overt external expression of like self-assurance what, what did you mean when you said mm. I didn't have confidence and it's still an ongoing battle what is that I think it's not what the world always thinks like you say you know we always have this thing of confidence as you say it's this 
mm. unstoppable. I can do anything. You know, I think um, life is always humbling, you know, in every way, just like the wild, you know, the mountains are humbling. You know, the, the real things of life are humbling. You remind us that, you know, it's often a battle and, you know, you've got to sometimes put your head down and do your best and you're going to fail and you're going to struggle and you're going to have doubts and you're going to have self-doubt. And, but, but try, try and get your feet and keep going. And, uh, and I think that is, um, that is confidence. You know, confidence is the quiet stuff and the, and the honesty and, and to, to say this is a struggle, but, but let's go. You know, let's, let's, let's do our best. I love that thing of the scouts, you know, do your best, you know, which is so smart because I think so much of the world is about be the best, you know, mm. win, number mm. one, you know, but actually that doesn't always stand the, the pressure test of time and of, of life and of going for big things that are always going to be humbling. And I think the thing of do your best, you know, it's dip, 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 you know, DYV, do your best. I, I love that because wherever you're at, you, you can do that. You know, it's a decision, isn't it? It's not a gift. It's not something we're born with, like the looks or the academic or the sport, it's something you've got to summon. And uh, I like that. What were the symptoms of having a lack of confidence when you were that age? What, what would it look like? How did it manifest itself? I think probably just being quite shy. And, uh, and I think you see the, the people at school always, the, 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 the bigger personalities. And it was always like, gosh, you've got to be like that to get anywhere. And it's a life journey, isn't it, to realise it's almost the opposite. It's almost the opposite. You know, the, the, the quiet, the persevering, relentlessly trying to pick yourself up through the failures and, and keep going and, and know the wealth of life. The wealth is always found in our relationships. And, and you know, you, you come across people who are rich in friendships and, you know, rich in passion and love what they do and love the people they work with and, you know, and that's enough. That's wonderful. But it takes a bit of unlearning, doesn't it? Of saying, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to, the people not always to look up to aren't always the front and center. And as I get older, I see more and more heroes left, right and center. Well, more left and right rather than center, <laughs> you know, and, and I love that. I, I sort of see it in people and, uh, you know, I see it in our camera crew. I mean, look at, look at what's been a, core part of my job for however many years, many years now, you know, the, the filming and stuff. And, you know, the focus is always on the person in front of screen and, and, you know, that horrible word of talent, as they call it. Mm. I never felt very talented, still don't. Still mm. feel I'm surrounded by way more talented people, but it's, life isn't a competition about who's more talented. It's a, it's a journey to take with great friends. And I look at our camera crew and to me, true heroes, you know, they work harder, they, they carry heavier weights. Mm. You know, unsung, you know, relentlessly positive, carry me many times, you know, in so many ways, encourage me when, when I've been struggling and I look at them and, and still brothers and sisters, best friends to this day. Uh, I think it's probably the thing I'm most proud of in my career, actually, are the friendships with our crew, you know, in an industry that is notoriously transient. You know, people have crew come, crew go, new crews, you know, but we've kept pretty well the core crew from from the beginning wow. and uh part of it's that we're obviously working in difficult dangerous terrain and you forge stronger bonds than you would in a shiny studio mm. but part of it's that the loyalty really matters from both goes both ways uh and i love that you said that you kind of have a bit of an allergic reaction to the word talent right 
just from a few other things that you said in that little opener, I wondered if you you relate at all to the to the phrase imposter syndrome at all? Because you're someone who's the world has this image of you as being this like unbelievable mountain scaling fearless adventurer, and even you talking about a lack of confidence doesn't seem to fit into that narrative that the world must hold of you. So, mm. have you ever felt? what they call imposter syndrome at all would you have a different yeah i think so because i'm going because i think it probably grows you know the more you know the more sort of something does well you know we you know we did we did the show this year for netflix called you versus wild you mm -hmm. know and we just got the news you know this morning we got nominated for three emmys for it and the crew go babe i so excited but part of my heart dies part of me is like oh it's like that gulf between the the sort of TV sort of, you know, guy and, and the it gets bigger, you know, and I feel from day one, I felt, I almost had more confidence, I think, in my skills at the beginning. I think as the years have gone on, I've realised actually I've often been surrounded by people who are better, better climbers, better skydivers, better survival guys, better looking, fitter, stronger, all of these things, just because we've built a, a, a crew of ninjas, of true mm. heroes and you know, we got to work with people and locals and experts all around the world year after year. And I think more and more I feel these guys are, those, or that person we met there or that person we met, they are amazing. They'd be much better at the job than me. But, you know, like I say, our, jo our job isn't to be the best, you know, it's to do our best. And, and you know, for some reason I've been given this, this, the chance to do this. It's what I've always loved. I love the adventures. I love, like I say, the friendships and, you know, the job we do. And, I think you can only ride that and be grateful for it and and like I say, do do your best and, and not worry about too much about how the TV makes it always look. I mean, the truth is the TV always puts the best bits. They cut out the trips and the stumbles and, and you put anything to music and the guy's going to look cool, <laughs> you know. But I think an element to why the show worked when we first started doing it is that we did show a lot of the mistakes and it was kind of, the slips and the stumbles and the ums and the ahs. And I remember from day one that the producer that came, came to me and said, well, we want to do this show where we drop you in the middle of difficult places and you show us how to get out of there. And, and, and I kept saying no, because I didn't want to do TV. I didn't know about TV. And I was like, oh, and, you know, but he kept saying, we don't want that. It doesn't need to be perfect. And, I've, and it was my wife that said, well, why don't you go and try it? You know, and I just left the military. We just got married. We were kind of starting out and, she was smart. She said, go and try it. And actually, it's never felt like making a perfect thing. I think the magic at that time, it was the first show that came along that let all the mud be on the lens and the rain on the lens and the trips and the stumbles. And you saw the cameraman's mm. hand and it would come. There was an, a sort of interactivity that, mm. was, that was great. And I always felt if it's not broke, don't fix it. The stumbles, mm. the trips, the struggles, the, the mistakes are part of life. Uh, but the part of my heart that dies is if it goes, it all makes it look too good or too, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm a really regular guy. I'm a regular dad as well. You know, I'm not, I'm not brilliant at any of these things, but I, I know what I love and I know the weapons that serve me best. And the weapons are always this, you know, be dogged, be determined, be, be the most resilient person out there when it's hard, you know, come alive in the big moments. When it's not the big moments, you don't need to be front and centre, but in the big moments, be there. I watched a lot of interviews of you before you, you arrived here today, and I think in pretty much all of them you said, I'm a normal guy, I'm a regular guy. And I get that, I get that. 
I understand what you're saying. However, <laughs> well, it's not false modesty. I don't want. To, I'm not going to let people build build me into something I'm not. You know, and I think as I get older, I know the frailties more and more, and I'm not ashamed of them. I'm, do you know what I mean? It's it's okay. Many mistakes, many many struggles. It's okay. Otherwise, things become all too. You know that how it's, it's hard to relate to. You know, mm. but you. You got through SAS selection. Just. I got through all these, just, you know. And people turned, turned to you and, and said things and as they turned back and quit, right? That, that for me is a filtering process of something. Yeah. Whatever that something but is. It's resi- all it is, is it's something we can control. It's not a filtering of talent. It's mm. not a filtering of you're, you're, you're brilliant. You're through, you're not through. You know, it's, it's a genius of selection for the special forces. It's all about heart and spirit. And we can all have that. That's not a God-given talent. That's a, that's a muscle that builds with walking through the, the door of failure time and time again and keep getting back up, you know. So I like that. That's why I say I am an ordinary person. That's why I also say just to so many things because, you know, yes, I've passed that. Or yes, you reach the top of this mantle. Or yes, you do. But it's always just. <laughs> and that's okay, you know. And it's also often by standing on the shoulders of many giants who have helped me. You know, many, many times, you know, I think of SS selection, you know, that time there were so many times where somebody, somebody just kind of believed me in a critical time. You know, it might be something where the two corporals running something, they go, do we want that guy? Do we want, you know, a bit of luck falls on his side. Somebody backs you, you know, or, you know, you, you, I don't know, just the more I look back on so many so-called achievements, the more I see the hand of, good people in critical moments. But as you know, you have to win the hearts of those people in the first place. But also the role of just that dogged determination to keep going. And that's not a thing of being brilliant. It's just trying to keep going, often sliding another step back, but keep moving forward. And you say that to, you know, I've got three boys now, three teenagers. And I think if you said to them, what one thing does your dad say to you day after day before you go to school? It's always just, you know, don't give up. Don't never give up. Be kind. You know, be determined, but n- never give up. And they roll their eyes. But you know what? One day they'll know that it's a key thing of key thing of life. You know, you don't have to be the best to do your best. Did that resilience muscle, as you call it, grow over time? Of course, it's like it's like everything. It's like the little little seeds to the mighty oaks. You know, we how do we build it? Just inch by inch, and. Uh, and that's a great thing because it's not something only some people can have. You know, it's universal for us all. We can all become, people think it's a God-given gift to someone be resilient. Resilience is that muscle and you build it by failing and trying to stay positive and, and trying to get back your feet and going again. You know, I look back and I remember being uh, really excited about being picked for the fourth eleven football team as a linesman. <laughs> I wasn't even in the team, you know. And it was like, my job was to bring on the oranges at half time, you know? But it was like, and I remember my dad was the only dad on the side of the pitch cheering me on. I thought, it's so embarrassing. He's not, I'm not even in the team. And dad said, you know, he's come to kind of, but actually those little steps of like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to bring on those oranges. And you're, ne- you're never going to forget it. It's going to be great. <laughs> and it's t- incremental, tiny little things. But having to fight for things, you know? So how often do we see at school, though, the, the school hero actually in life doesn't always do that brilliantly. And why is that? It's because they've got, you know, schools rewarded that. 
but they've never tested this. You know, where little Johnny, who doesn't have that, doesn't get the awards, is a linesman, brings on the oranges, yeah, whatever <laughs> it is, struggles, doesn't even get noticed, never wins anything, but never gives up and keeps doing his best and still doesn't really get noticed, but doesn't matter. But when he leaves school, this might not be the biggest thing, but this is like ninja-like. You know, that, that resi resilience muscle inside is strong. And as you know, and as I know, in life, that's the one that is going to carry you further. And, and the unseen people at school often do better in life. It's like, don't peak too early. <laughs> don't peak at 14. Oh, I, <laughs> I certainly didn't. I sat here with um, Eubank and I've been thinking about this idea of resilience and what it really means. And as we sit here today, my current hypothesis is basically resilience is the story. It's kind of this contract you have with yourself, this mm. self story about who you are. And in those moments when no one is looking, I, I was talking to Eubank about me being on the running machine and knowing I've got two minutes to go because I said before I started, I'd run till 45 minutes. But my legs are hurting and they're cramping and I could give up and walk away and no one's going to know because no one's here. Yeah. But what I, I alter my own self story in a way mm. and I, I send a message to myself that I am the type of person that mm. gives up when it's tough. So is mm. it really, do you, do you re relate to that? And is this kind of like you're crafting this story mm. of, about who you are to yourself with every small decision you make. Doing the linesman job, you said, I'm going to do it the best I possibly can. And although it's not what I wanted, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it everything I can and not give up. Yeah, yeah. Does that relate at all? And also I think the thing of giving up is that, you know, what is it, it's that thing of temporary pleasure, long-term. Yeah, that's not, so true. You know, and, and for me, I just, I, I developed this thing where whenever people were quitting or complaining, I liked those moments. For me, it was like, okay, there's all the, all the chat and the bravado. There's always that at the beginning. Everyone's full of that, but bring it down, put the squeeze on, you know, we like grapes. Hmm. squeeze this you see what's inside bring the squeeze bring the squeeze now we see characters we see what people are like and for me it just became whenever i saw people quitting or complaining especially complaining and you see it so much as in the military you see it on big expeditions you see it even when we're filming tv shows with people you know when it gets hard you know and you're hungry and you're scared and you're up against it and you're dehydrated you know those are the moments and for me it just became a trigger when everyone's complaining and giving up so time to give more you know just you don't have to give more in the early times. Just wait until it's... And that's how you separate yourselves in, in business and in life and in relationship, you know, in the big moments. You know, look at a relationship. When, it's, when you're under that real tone and everyone's throwing it, you know, are you going to really throw that nasty comment or kind of hold it and just try and be gracious and kind in those big moments, you know? And, uh, and I like that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't complicated to think about under pressure. It was just like when everything's going wrong, that's the time to give more rather than give up. And I held on to that in many difficult moments, you know, across many different arenas. And, um, and it's helped me, you know, I remember this guy said to me once said, and you can do anything for another 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, you know, when it's, you're in that moment, you keep going another 10 seconds. That makes you different though. You got to admit, because most people don't want another 10 seconds. Yeah. So well, it hurt. It, it hurts. I'm not saying it's not going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But that fire inside, it's in us, in us all. You know, it's just you've got to dig sometimes. But it's, it's a great truth to know that it's there. When you dig, you know, it, it's there. And, uh, and I think, as you say, once you get used to it and you start to practice it, the muscle gets stronger. Mm. And then you almost seek out tough times. You know this is a chance to, to shine, you know. And as you say, that's how you separate yourselves 
in life. You know, the, you're going to reach these points, but but in those big moments, what are you what are you going to go this way? How are you going to act in those big moments? And it's always what separates, you know, reaching those summits from not reaching those summits. Never give up. It's the name of your latest book. When is there a time to give up? Because there is a <laughs> wildly believed, I think, social phrase, which is like quitting is for losers, right? But some, when I look at my own life and my own career, quitting has played quite an important role sometimes in leaving mm. a situation that wasn't good. So when should we give up? Well, that's called wisdom. And it comes with experience. And there's always, there's always a right. Uh, first of all, my 16-year-old nephew came to me the other day. I said, I said, Bev, you, re- you need a n- not the smoking on the head. You're, you're smoking a lot at the moment. He went, but ever since I was a kid, you told me never give up. <laughs> I said, Fuck. apart from the cigarettes, you know, there's always a time to give things up. And, some, and experience and wisdom, you know, you, you just don't want to be a pig-headed, head in the dirt, just, ugh, you know, mm. that's not smart. That's not smart. The, you know, intuition and experience has to know when, hold on, this, is, this isn't maybe the right route. Let's just take a step back. And I think it's why so often great mountaineers are often a little bit older because they have that patience and that judgment. And when you're young and you don't care and you kind of maybe should be listening to that intuition and maybe the weather's changed or something's happening that's saying, hold, you know, and you go and you die. That's why, why so many high-altitude mountaineers' deaths is that, that, you know, relentless ability not to adapt or change your plan, where with age you have that ability to listen to your instinct, to the mountains, to the circumstances, and maybe adapt and maybe change. And as, as we know, you know, with big mountains, they'll always be there. So I think that ability to life to listen mm. to that and to amend and to adapt is super important. And look at soldiering, same. It's always this thinking man soldier, you know, was a, was a mantra of a lot of these special forces stuff, is always being able to adapt, improvise, adapt, overcome. You mm. know, that, that's, that's leading with this and with this. So course is a time for pulling back and holding. But I think generally the message, you know, 90% of the time, most people don't get to where they're going, not, not because of a lack of skills or talent. It's, it's that lack of kind of ability to keep going when it's hard. And that's why I think doing little things every day, small things that, you know, whatever it is, that just push, your, push this muscle a bit is good. You know, even if it's like, I mean, I have a, I've had a thing for years and it's now super popular. Everyone's kind of, you know, doing it, you know, the ice bath training. Oh, yeah. You know, but I've done it for years and I love this thing. It's just three minutes a day. I'm just in that cold water, you know, whether it's a river or in winter or a lake or, you know, at nighttime. And, you know, I try and find somewhere every day, just get in that cold and it hurts, still hurts. But it's just a little, little something, whatever it is, that's your something that's difficult to do because most people spend their lives avoiding the, the painful, the difficult, you know, they're, they're scared of public speaking or they're scared of it. So they avoid the things that challenge us. But as you know, it's where growth happens and growth isn't always fun. It's often painful, but it's like a muscle. The more you push it, the more you get used to it. You know, there's a great thing at the Commando Training Centre in Limpston that just says comfortable with uncertainty. Hmm. And it's a great thing for life, you know. Don't get sat in that comfort zone too much. I call it a comfort pit, somewhere to get out of quickly. (laughs) I was wondering if, like training in the gym, when I do my repetitions of the weights, I then need a bigger weight to get the same gain. Mm -hmm. So do you find yourself needing like a bigger thrill or a bigger expedition or a greater challenge to get the same like feeling of fulfillment and contempt from what your work these days? And where do you find that Mm -hmm. after you've climbed Everest and done all, all you've done? 
I, I don't feel that, no. You don't feel I don't, that? I don't feel that. I, I think um, what you're saying in the question is that you actually, is that where you get your fulfillment through that thing? Mm. And the answer is no, it's not where I get fulfillment. fulfillment. I, I do these things, I try and do the difficult things just to keep that inside muscle honed a little bit. But it's not always about bigger and better and, uh, uh, you know, it's, as I read the other day, half of life is getting to where you, you know, achieving your goals and the other half of life is being really happy to enjoy it. Mm. The second one's a harder one to do. And I think a big, you know, I've been super lucky to fulfill so many things. I still have many goals, many ambitions, but it's not goals and ambitions that trump the last one and ever bigger and, uh, you know, it's not like that. It's just really grateful and try, make sure you stay alive, you know, make sure you're always grateful for the many good things and the luck you've had along the way. You know, keep that muscle inside honed, keep, keep working, keep doing your best. But it's definitely not where I find the fulfillment. It's not, it's not like the, the achievement's never going to fulfill that hole. Did you used to think it would? Maybe a little bit. I think when I was young, I th you know, I think Everest certainly for me was such a sort of symbol of like, I'm going to do this, you know. And it, it was at a time when only I think 20 odd Brits had ever climbed it. And it was like, I thought this is going to be epic, you know. And, and then you see the realities of, you know, we have four climbers lose their lives up there and it re-rattled me in many ways and I was lucky to reach the top and got back in one piece but it didn't answer that question of you know I, I don't know I don't think I'd climb it now I'm not so out on a quest to kind of prove anything but I think when you're young is half of it's good to have a quest you know you've got to have that goal but the other half is like it's not it's not the answer to life is it you know it's it's a you know, that maybe comes from elsewhere and with time and experience you learn the real answer to life is always rooted in, you know, something aside and that and relationships with great people and, you know, a lot of it I think comes down to love actually, you know, being, uh, knowing those connections with great people and a love of whatever it could be, it can be a love of the outdoors, a love of what you do, you know. But um, have it's you, not found an achievement always. Have you found where it is found? You don't seem to be so certain exactly where that that feeling of fulfillment um you talked about the second half which is like enjoying the goals mm. have you figured that bit out i think it's a lifelong journey of figuring it out you know i i hope i edge closer to where it's not found which is it's never found in trophies and triumphs and accolades you know those things i see those things with clearer lenses now you know i'm more proud of be married you know 22 years you know i got three great boys you know the, the simpler things I'm, I'm more proud of i think you know where do i really find fulfillment i think um i think my faith is a quiet thing in that sense you know faith's always a tricky one but and hard to articulate very well but it's definitely comes from a place of like that you're you're okay you're okay you, we're we're forgiven we're loved empowered and um Try and live it, live life as best you can, eyes wide open, with you know gratitude in your heart and a tough, resilient spirit to go for things. And uh, and I look at life in those sort of terms more and more. I feel like in the in the twenty twenty two in the UK, where I think we we've grown more atheist as a society. I mean, some people say there's no such thing as an atheist, but we've grown more um, atheist in our viewpoints. It is harder to communicate if you do have a faith. Why did you say that it's a, it's a tricky thing? 
I think it's been so tarnished. I think religion has been so tarnished. And I, I get that. I was always the least religious person growing up. I just thought, I mean, as a kid, I had a really natural faith. I always believed in some higher power and that I could feel, you know, there's something around, you know, as a little kid, it was like, ah, wow. Mm. And then I think I went to school and then, you know, you had to go to church and they all wore white cassocks and spoke in Latin. I thought, gosh, I've really missed it. You know, this is actually what it's about. And it's been a life journey to unwind all of that and realize actually the little me had it right. You know, faith is, faith is in your heart, knowing, knowing that you're not alone and, and there's something bigger than us out there and they're for us, not, you know, that, that power is for us, not against us. And despite my doubts and all of those sort of things, I'm going to put my trust in that and try and, you know, have love at the center of all we do and, and live empowered and go for things and not be scared to fail and not be driven by fear and all those sort of things. And that to me, what f faith is. Um, so it's hard to articulate, I think, because it's personal and mm. it's, it's intimate. And also it's, like I say, it's, it's has just as many doubts as it does, you know, doubt and faith, two sides yeah. of the same coin. You know, I think it does feel like that for me, but through it all, I would say my Christian faith has been a real backbone and a kind of secret strength in many tricky moments. You know, light to a dark path, I always kind of feel it's that sort of thing. So, yeah. I, I did wonder when I was reading about your faith and I watched you pray for Obama uh, just at the end of your time with him because I've sat here with guests who have undergone and witnessed such horrific things in their, in their lives and they've, and it's shaken their faith. In fact, mm. Eubank was one of them that his brother suddenly died. They were both very religious and that shook his faith. And being out in nature and being on those expeditions up Everest where two people fall to their death and two, you know, die of the cold, one would might assume that those moments would shake your, your faith, but it sounds like it's made it stronger in a way from what you said. Well, I think the two things happen often. It gets shaken and strengthened. And uh, actually my experience of people, people who've really been taken to the edge that's actually where they find their faith. You know, you look at so many of the concentration camp stories and stuff, you know, it's, uh, you know, two sides looking at it. One person said, there can be no God. I've seen, I've witnessed evil personified. And the, uh, was it, I can't remember who it was, and said, I've been to the edge and I know there's no place that God isn't. Mm. You know, it's all how we look at how we choose to live. And, uh, I choose to, choose to try and live with, you know, faith, faith in other people, faith in ourselves, faith in the almighty. And that, and that helped me. But it's, it's funny, that thing with Obama, because in a way that was never meant to be on TV. It was a, just a spontaneous thing at the end of the journey. And I'd, you know, as you know, when you spend time with people, you get a sense of someone. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of that journey with Obama, I got a real sense that here's a guy with the weight of the world on his shoulders you know, and he, he got lighter as the journey went on. And by the end, he said, you know what? It's one of the best days of my presidency. I'm out of the office. I'm out of a suit talking about stuff that's in here rather than being grilled on, you know, politics. And, and I could see him light, getting lighter, you know, mm. and I just said at the end, I said, first of all, good job. You're doing, you're you probably, I don't know if you get told it very often. Most people are giving you a holiday, but good, you know, you're doing your best, dib, 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 you know. <laughs> and I want to just say, you know, I don't know, it felt like let's re try and refill his fuel tank a bit. Yeah, yeah. And actually it ended up going in the show, you know, I put a hand on his shoulder and said, you know, strength this guy, you know, in the big decisions. 
amen, you know, and it wasn't really more complicated than that. But I don't know, I think the wild always creates honest connections without the fluff and it didn't feel unnatural and, you know, but it's funny how the effect of that, I still get people to this day talk about that a lot. And they're quite unlikely people often say that was an, that was a good, good moment. Not always easy. I mean, awkward sometimes, isn't it? Doing that sort of thing. Mm, of course. But, but that's okay. I've, I've learned that that's okay. Dude, sometimes the awkward things are, are the best things. Telling someone that, you know, you know, that, that they're amazing, you know, can be awkward to a good friend, but can, can mean a lot. Quick one. We bring in eight people a month to watch these conversations live here in the studio when we're here in the UK and when we're in LA. If you want to be one of those people, all you've got to do is hit subscribe. You said earlier about being rattled after Everest. One would never assume that, of course. You climb the biggest mountain in the world and you come down and you're rattled and your confidence is knocked. I think big mountains are humbling, you know, and sometimes you, you take on these big projects and it's about, come on, we're going to do it. And you're, you're full of that confidence, but, um, but it's often quite surface. And I think when you see things close up and it, 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 I think I came away with a real awareness of that I've been really lucky and got away with my life where others hadn't up there. And this stage Everest was killing one in six people's lives, you know, and beforehand I read about that and it was almost kind of, it was almost glamorous. It was almost like romantic. You know, but you see the see the reality of it close up, and it's it's not romantic. It's it's dark and 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 difficult and confusing, and uh, and I think my feeling at the end of it was that I got really lucky. You know, I've been no doubt dug deep in a few big moments, and you know, it was some ninety two days on that mountain. So there's a lot of time you do have to dig deep, but ultimately had a bit of luck at key times. And I think I came away aware of that and, and grateful for that, but less certain that just because you're determined in life doesn't mean everything's going to go well. You know, and I think beforehand I kind of thought if you give everything, it's all going to work out. But as you know, in, in everything in life, that there's no guarantees. You know, we're, we, we live a, a gloves off life. You know, life is gloves off and no rules of kind of like, if you, if you give this school going to be, you know, roses and sunshine, you, you know, you can give the best in the world and it's going to be hit you sometimes, you know, you get ill or something happens. And I think that's the part of me that got a bit shaken. And, but you know, that's just life and you have to live with your eyes wide open to that and, and still choose to try and make the good decisions and pick the good attitudes and put them on like a t-shirt every day that even though gloves are off, we're going to go for this. We're going to do our best to be positive, do our best to give our best. And keep going for it. Those four people that passed away, were they climbing with you? Two Russians and a, a, a Brit and a New Zealander from other teams. But they're, they're on the mountain at the same time and, and never came back. And I remember with their teammates, you know, afterwards, just them, them in tears and sitting with them. And it, does, it definitely made me question a lot at the time, is, is any mountain really worth a life? Of which the clear answer is no. But at the time, you're, sometimes your ambition is, you know, it's like, we're going to go for it. And, and that's why I think now, kind of with a bit of time and experience, would I, would I do it now? Would I take a one in six chance of not coming home now? No, because you have more to live for. But I think at the time I was like, I'm all in, I'm going to go. For, I want to make my mark, you know, at a, at a young age. And, uh, and the truth is I got lucky. Fame. 
<laughs> yeah. What does that one mean? <laughs> yeah, you tell me. I've well, been only on the TV for a couple of minutes. I mean, so, but you've been on there for many, 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 many years. So I was hoping maybe you could give me a little bit of an overview of what fame is. Because, mm. you know, when I looked at Bear Grylls podcast, and I really couldn't find much. There was, for someone that's been in the public eye for so long, could barely find anything. And then I read this quote that you you don't like. Sometimes you feel like when you meet someone, there's a sense of, you're worried you might disappoint them because they're expecting you to be something else. Well, I think that's true. <laughs> I think part of my kind of, the, the answer is I don't do very many of these, you know, I, I think, um, but that's okay. I'm not sort of hungry for more people to know everything. You know, I, I do do these sort of things every now and again with, with good people and, and when it feels right. You know, I think, I think one of the reasons I get, I get less comfortable sometimes in big groups of people and, and doing press stuff or doings, you know, I, I'm not very, I don't really like the cameras on me. If I'm honest, I struggle really with that. So one, you know, I never gone to TV for that. You know, I gone to TV cause you know, this producer said, do you want to try this thing? And like I said, we were just married and starting out and pretty broke. And it was like, let's go for it. Let's see what, see what happens. But the sort of the recognition side of things, you know, I struggle with the word fame. I think it's a weird one, but I think the recognition side of things, I, I struggle with more. Um, and I think part of it is a little part of me feels I'm never going to be quite as good as people expect, you know, in, in, as the TV sometimes makes out and therefore less is more very happy with my family and friends and I go and work, but I want to kind of come home afterwards. But when it comes to fame, you know, you, you say that, you say about that. I've, I kind of learned, I think over the years to first, we'll take it with a, not just a pinch of salt, but with a bucket of salt, you know, don't believe it. It doesn't, it's not where your worth is. Your worth, you know, if your worth is that, you're always going to struggle because it goes up and down. It's ultimately it's going down, isn't it? You know, you're, you're, you know, when we're, when we're 95 years old, nobody's going to know who, who I am. Speak for yourself. And, I'm joking. Well, I'm joking. But, it, but, but and, and it doesn't matter. You no, know, it right. doesn't, but our, our, our sense of self-worth, you're always going to be fighting a losing battle, really. Yeah, yeah. So I take it all with a bucket of salt. Um, I think for my family growing up with a little bit of that, that they've, I always say to our boys growing up, we got friends all over the world and look at it like that. Amazing connections. You know, I can go to, go to any country and, and there's a connection with, with, with people there and people want to tell their stories and go, oh, I've just been camping with my, you know, with my son or my, you know, my uncle was this or did that or my son's a scout, daughter's a scout or whatever it is. And I like those connections, always grateful for people's stories and, and that's fine. So that's how I kind of look at it. Pinch of salt, don't believe it all, but uh, always be grateful for friends all over the world. Did you struggle with it at the start? I think I struggled with it when I felt the attention was on me. I think I didn't like that. I, that, that felt, I, I remember so well in the early days when we started doing Man vs. Wild. First two seasons, we were just gunning it and going and it was all just kind of fun. Out there was a small crew. I never really didn't see it go down telly. It was going out in America at the time. So I was over in the UK. I didn't see it. I didn't know what was happening. It was just lucky. It was good timing and it just worked, you know. It just was meant to be at that time. But I didn't really see much of that because I come home and you know, live a regular life. And I remember the head of Discovery after a couple of seasons say, you know, your show's best on Discovery. It's getting over a billion viewers now around the world. And uh, 
And my heart sank. I really started to struggle with it. And I suddenly started to think when we were filming, I'd be like self-conscious and what, what am I saying? And hold on, is this my, and the fun went out of it and my, I got more anxious with it all. And I thought, I don't want people looking at this or doing this. Or, and it was a really sort of marked time of, and the crew said it. So they said, is everything okay? And I think I had to learn to, it's about other people. You know, and when I realized people coming up and they weren't going, you know, you're amazing. They would go, I took my son camping or, or my whatever did that. And when I realized it was about them and I'd really tried to shift it in my brain, everything's about them. You know, it's what it brings out, whether it's a single mom coming to me saying, when you once said about you in that storm in the jungle and you said, sometimes life is going to beat you up and you just got to be dogged and keep going, keep your head down. You know, the storms won't last forever. And I really understood that as a single mom I was trying to hold down all these jobs. I've got, you know, that for me lifted my whole, I thought, that's why I do this job. And it kind of shifted it off me. And, 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 and that's why I've always loved my job now as like chief scout. You know, for me, that was a revolution to be able to say, when people come up to me and go, you know, oh, you've done this or this now. Yeah, but look what you could do. You could join, you know, you could join that and you can do this. And, you know, mm. somewhere to be able to, not deflect, but sort of direct people a little bit. And, and I, I get such a kick out of that. It's why I love running wild so much because it's about other people. It's about taking these rookies. They might be amazing rookies, but they're often wilderness rookies mm. and opening their eyes to my office, you know, the outdoors, what the wild can do for people, that light inside, that pride, that come on, you know, that magic mm. and, uh, and saying, look at this. And that freed me a lot away from kind of, Look at, look at, you know, look that way instead of this way. <laughs> you said a word there, which I, I started thinking about a lot, which was the word anxiety, which I actually think is a quite an interesting thing because you're, much of your work is about the natural world. And one of the, I think, unnatural human signals is anxiety. It kind of tells you something that you're potentially doing wrong. Maybe mm. a train of thought that you've attached yourself to, which is destructive or whatever else. And depression is one of those things is what I talk about a lot is also seems to be a pretty clear signal for a natural signal that we have, you know, some of my guests have said that they have, it's a signal that they've been disconnected from their tribe mm. and it's, and they've explained the science of that. And, um, and even the, the signal of rejection and how that makes us feel is a prehistoric signal telling us to get back into our tribe because or that there's a chance we might be thrown off the island by our tribe because we're being rejected so to change our behavior and all of these signals anxiety depression and this whole mental health um awareness that's emerged in the last 10 years mm. what's your relationship been like with those with those um those topics first of all it's it's amazing that people are talking about this and focusing on it more you know i think uh, you know it's, it's long overdue and it's a key part of our arsenal for life, isn't it? Our weapons that are going to help make your heart happy. You mm. know, you, 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 need to, you need to look after the physical, mm -hmm. you need to look after the emotional, you need to look after the spiritual, mm -hmm. and you need to look after the mental side of things. You know, it's all, these are all weapons in our arsenal we've got to focus on. And, and if you neglect one, mm. there's always going to be a little part of your heart that is going to struggle a bit if you if you whether it's emotional physical or mental so you've got to try and put things in place that help your mental health and um, and I think people for many years often neglected that you shut things away but actually the so many of the things that help us mentally are mm. simple things as you say those connections to people and that honesty and vulnerability and and like we've been talking about not letting yourself 
sort of live a life that actually isn't real, yeah. not letting people make you into that hero that you don't always fear. You know, stay honest, stay connected, talk to people, you know, be outside. How, how many yeah. times do we see studies proving that when we're outside and we're in the sun and we're expressing and we're working hard and we're connected to people, and that's why the wild is such an amazing mental health weapon to build up that resource you know in a world that often depletes the resource you know all of this stuff is always pulling you know if i pulling pulling you know pull leaves you emptier but for me the wild and connection and the sun and outdoors and swimming cold rivers and and challenge and failing and all these sort of things build up i find for me help my mental health you can't take your eye off the ball with mental mm. health you've got to and you're not always going to get it right and that's okay is there a time in your life where you discovered mental health was a very real thing because of an experience that you'd had? Because I think for many years, I thought it was something that happened to other people. And then there's a couple of sort of catalytic events that happened in my life that made me realize that I am not immune to anxiety, to feelings, you know, depressive symptoms and all of those things. But is there something in your life where there was a pivotal moment or life events typically are the catalyst of those things where you go, oh, this is something that I now need to put as a priority? I think I've been lucky in the sense that I've I've never suffered from really bad depression, you know, where many, many friends I've stood alongside have really had battles. I think I've always had a, you know, a, an intuition of when I need to change something and when I'm struggling a little bit and when, hold on, this this feeling of, of anxiety has been going on a bit. Hold on, what can we change? What, what helps me? And mm. I've always sort of accidentally found things that help make that, problem better mm -hmm. and for me it's been that go-to of being outdoors being with yeah. great friends having a few just a few good friends rather than lots and lots of friends you know even things like our our be military fit our bmf our veterans run fitness business has helped me so much because it's a collective tribe of you know often veterans people who need that camaraderie but want to train want to stay physically fit don't want to be in a gym inside with white light and all of that they want to be outside in the fresh air they want to be down in the dirt a little bit or they want to laugh at themselves and situations and face a few you know rain swept early mornings training outside in a park together and and like our physical health the more we can be aware of the things that do help and have proven to help mm. and to, to gravitate towards those seek those things in our life be outside be connected train you know mm. be honest have a few friends the more it's going to help us when we do have the dark moments and I've never met anyone who doesn't have them. You know, they might tell you they don't, but everyone has these moments and I certainly I certainly have. And But I've also never met a strong person who's had an easy past. You know, it's just part of it. If you're going to go for big things and you're going to shoot for the top, you're going to have struggles and failures and part of life. When was your darkest moment? One was when I, when I broke my back in the military and was in rehabilitation for a long time. And, you know, so much of my rock in my life had been that I was physically strong and I was doing a job I loved and suddenly I couldn't even reach the bathroom without excruciating agony and you know my back was broken in three places and you know that, that you know I had to then leave my job you know with the military and and it was just a what am I going to do with my life you know but I also look at that time and I think if I hadn't gone through that I don't think I ever would have actually had the drive and the impetus to make that Everest expedition happen at that young age and if I hadn't done that, that wouldn't have opened the door to other things. And then eventually the TV and, you know, it's like, it's like these, these clouds that often, you know, it's why mm -hmm. not to be scared when life does hit you sideways. Cause there's often a sort of a plan there. You just got to try and 
keep moving forward towards it. But that was definitely a dark time. And I think also losing my dad at a young age. I mean, Shara and my wife and me both lost our parents within 10 weeks of each other in year one of marriage. And it was, we were young, we were 24, 25 and uh, just starting out on life. And I think we always had that safety net of our parents behind us, you know, and, and I think suddenly both losing our dads and now being responsible for our mums. And it was, uh, it definitely took that safety net away. And it was like, wow, we're both dealing with trauma here. Not always very well, but we, we got to, I mean, it, I look back now and actually it's what made us, made us really tight and to have a love and a trust and a vulnerability together that has been key thing in our relationship, I think, ever since. But at the time it was just pure pain <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a huge hole that is still there to the day. You know, I mean, I, you know, seeing our three boys grow up, great. the great loss for me is that, you know, they will never know my dad or he would never know them and how like he was, they are, and all of these dynamics that we take for granted. And so often I see friends now and they go, oh, my, you know, my mum's a bit poorly and my dad. I'm thinking, there's part of me thinking, you know, you're so lucky to have had your parents for that long. And we, I was dealing with looking after sort of my mum and all her sort of bills and everything. And, you know, when I was 25, you know, it's been going on a long time. But, but at the same time, I think my dad taught me so many of the key things in life, which was back to that earlier point of like, you know, be resilient and, and be kind and get going. And, and those things I'll always be grateful for. And I wish my only regret is that I can get a chance to say to him, wow, you were right. You were actually right all along when I kicked against it and kind of, you know, you were right. You know, follow your dreams, be kind, be resilient, never give up. And uh, I never said thank you enough for that. That's something I always worry about. My dad is, has outlived his siblings and um, I don't feel like I've made enough of an effort to stay connected. There's something about us where we just think our parents are going to be around forever. Like you, when you said mm. the safety blanket thing, it's like mm. this, it's almost like it reminds me of COVID where I didn't realise the tectonic plate of society could ever mm. move. So I built my life like ignorantly on mm. this foundation that society would be open and that and then so one day someone showed me that there was even a tectonic plate underneath me that I didn't know was there. And my parents are the same thing. They've just always been there. So I assume mm. naively that they always will be. But mm. what would you say to, what advice would you give me about? Well, never take that for granted mm. and never, never be scared of saying, it. I mean, tell him now, you know, tell him on this. He'll listen to this. Mm. He's probably incredibly, incredibly proud of you all you've achieved superseded his wildest dreams of what a son could be. And he should be proud and tell him. What would you tell your dad if he was listening? Maybe he is. Well, I think I'd, I'd say th thank you for, for the little things. You know, it's not that it's thanks for being there on that touchline when I was linesman. You know, thanks for not putting too much focus just on success and school reports and being top. Thank you for putting focus on being kind and having a dream, even though you know, it might not be the path most trodden, you know, but, but go for it. If it's your dream, go for it. And thanks for saying that never give up is the, is the golden currency of life rather than, you know, good looks, uh, sporty talent or academic brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think um, for you, your dad, your dad knows, you know, he, he, I'm sure he knows, but, Never stop telling him, 
you know, because I think really parental relationship is one of those ones that's always going to be, there are always going to be dynamics and struggles and fallouts and arguments and stuff, but you can never articulate it too much that you love someone and you can never overestimate how much those simple, awkward, difficult words to say mean. I mean, my great buddy said he really wanted to tell his dad one time he loved him, but he knew so English he wouldn't his father but it would be a really difficult thing to say mm. and he eventually said I'm going to say to and he said dad I just want to just let you know I really love you and his son his dad goes you've been drinking <laughs> you know but the thing is that's okay he dad would go home that night knowing that he hadn't been drinking the guy his son hadn't mm. been drinking but that was special and I think those awkward it's back to that thing of doing sometimes the awkward difficult things like the prayer with Obama is a really good thing you know and, and I've try to get better at this in my life of saying thank you and and doing nice things and say, saying awkward but good things to people I mean I said it to my great buddy the other day Rupert I said to him you know we work a lot together and stuff so I said you know forget the work side of these you you're such a lovely friend and there, yeah, I literally saw, boom, I saw eyes well out just for a second, you know. And it was like, you know, oh, you, oh you're great, great. No, it's, it's keep, keep, keep training or whatever we're doing. You know, but it's sometimes the awkward things are the good things. And um, I hope as I live and do more in life that I, I, I create more and more of those moments because there are many people, I, like I said, I stand on the shoulders of many giants that are the real heroes in my life. And I, I definitely consider my dad one. I definitely consider those... I served alongside of the military, many still friends to this day. I mean, I was with Corporal Williams, my old, you know, squadron, <laughs> you know, patrol commander, who's now age, you know, 70 mm. and uh, lives in Merthyr Tidville. I was with him the other day for a walk in the Breckens. Just remind him, I go, you, you've been an amazing friend through life and I'll never forget the belief you had in me in the early days. Thank you. You know, I consider the camera crew I work with in that same vein and, uh, Never take those for granted. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. Your wonderful wife. Remember you saying once upon a time, if you really want to know someone, you've got to ask the wife and kids what they're well, like you know so true isn't it i mean what if i asked your wife what would she say oh. what would she say about the <laughs> flawed she probably says flawed <laughs> flawed but you know in what way i think loyalty and and sticking through things and knowing the real us and and that we're not perfect and we we're there for each other is, is creates a power to it and i do look at relationships that are special like you know, you, with your kids or with your wife, it's like stained glass. You know, you need to, 
they're really beautiful, but you've got to protect them and you've got to protect them, number one. And I think it's so easy in life to do the opposite. Actually, we take that one for granted and we produce our best. We produce our best for the at the dinner party to hold court and say the jokes and, you know, and it's the wrong way round. You know, it's the wrong way round. Save your best. I think it's something I've learned and still try and I don't always get right by any means, but I know the goal is to try and save my best for those I value the most, which is the closest relationship to you with your wife and, and with your kids, you know, make the, save the best for them rather than kind of be tired and grumpy with them and then go out and then be on form. Mm -hmm. You know, it's trying to shift it the other way and it's, counterculture but it's always going to make you happier you know if, and that's why I say if you want to know what someone's like ask their wife because don't don't look at the press reports and don't read their own stories about themselves you know ask a person who really knows them when the when the mask is off and when it's you know the cameras aren't really they're the, they're the ones and it's not to say you know anyone's perfect but but try and save your best for them and I think if you do ask my wife what what I would love her to say, I'd love her to say that I was loyal and kind and, and fought for them. You know, that's, that's what I just have always tried to do in my life and prioritize them. And many times in, in my life, in the early days of TV especially, there was so much pressure to, you know, be away too much and go and do that and do the extra episode and do the extra thing. And that, you know, Discovery Channel are asking for one more thing there and you end up burning burning the things that are most valuable because you're way too much. You're, you're, you're focusing on this and always creates damage. And I'd say sorry for those times there's way too much. And, and, and that's why I fought so hard to start to produce and make our own shows where we owned the format and we could decide. It's, I go, no, it's our boys half term. I'm, I'm not going to, even though it's, you know, Tom Cruise or whoever, I'm, I'm going to be at the half term for this. I want to put a shift onto the family. It's and easy. it's been a great thing. It's been a key thing. And the other stuff is work. It will always be there, you know, it will be there and it's okay. Sometimes I fall into the trap of doing that. So, you know, you get an offer come in and it's, oh, 50 grand or 100 grand to do this thing here. It'll take one day, but I'd scheduled to be in Indonesia that day with my partner. And I'm yeah. looking, I'm going, can I really turn down 100 grand for one day, just like hanging out on the sofa with my partner? It's a new challenge that I've been yeah. contending with. What, I mean, you've been through this. Well, I think, I think the answer is at the same time, you're hustling and you've got to work and you've got to build it and you're building it, especially when you get married and have kids, you're building for their future and, and all of us have this struggle. But I think listening to that inner voice, you know, a little bit and, and there's this line, isn't there, that we walk where, you know, this side is family, this side is work. And the problem is if you only try and walk this line, everyone's always asking favours. You know, it's just one off, it's one event, it's one thing. And before you know it, you're spending too long on this side of the line and you're creating damage and loss. It's only damage, it's, it's losing. You're, you're creating loss on this side. And I think what I've learned is just shift the line a little bit. You know, make the line here. Oh, so make it even more family orientated to make start it, with. Yeah, so, so when you drift over the line a few times, which you're gonna do, you're still in surplus, you're still in surplus. And, and I think the wisdom and experience of life is knowing, do you know what? No, we should go and do that. I will go and do that event, so that's important. But knowing also the ones that really protect. It's often the little things, isn't it? Like a, you know, like the linesman story, you know, mm. like that school play or that anniversary or, or whatever. And listen, I'm speaking from a place of flawed failure through many, many times, but I've learned through those things. Why do you I'm say gonna, that? Because I got it wrong many times. I've you just went there. Yeah, 
just been there and made mistakes and got them wrong. But I've learned through those is that it's worth protecting the most, the thing of most value in your life. And I think then with success, what happens, you'll reach a point where you don't need that extra hundred grand. You know, maybe when you're getting it, maybe you've got to hustle a bit. Maybe you've got to make some sacrifices. You do. To be successful, you have to sacrifice. Maybe, you know, and I was the same. I had to in those early days. You've got to, you've got to go that extra mile. I'm not saying you don't. You do. But maybe you reach a point where enough's enough. And then, then what you're really saying to your girlfriend or it might be your wife or your kids at that mm. stage is that I value you more than the hundred grand. And when you're like successful, you know, it doesn't get any easier to say no. It becomes more important <laughs> to mm. say no. Amen. I felt that. Speaking of work, really compelled by um, when I read that you're the chief scout. I was like, that's the CEO of the Scouts, right? That's, is that not the CEO of the Scouts, effectively? Well, I don't think I've ever... I've never had an aspiration to be like a CEO. <laughs> CEO has always felt very important, even oh. though we are on the diary of a CEO. <laughs> yeah. I never feel like a CEO. Um, greatest honour in my life has been to, you know, be, a, be a, a small cog in this incredible worldwide machine of 55 million young people Whoa. bound together by a common set of values of respect and kindness and humility and and adventure and determination and life skills and you know it's an amazing privilege i never take it for granted it's a worldwide force for good it truly is the scout movement is unlike anything else out there and it really has been the greatest honor of my life and and i love it i can sum up my job as chief scout in three words you know encourage 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 you know, and, and shine the light on those the, the, the young people because the stuff that they get, get up to, the, the missions they're on, the, the, the efforts, the endeavours, the expedition, what they do is amazing. They're leading the thing on climate change. They're leading in many refugee camps and disaster areas, helping, serving. And when you get 57 million young people around the world saying, I make a promise to be kind and helpful, you know, it's amazing. There's a power to that and... Uh, it's brilliant. Do you think your your career is complete? And, um, I hope not. I hope not. I'm still hustling. I'm still. I like the. I like the struggle. I like the fight. I like the ambition. We've built a brilliant team. We're we're pushing many in, endeavors. You know, away from just the TV shows. You know, I'm super proud of our B Military Fit, our Veterans Fitness business. You know, we have our theme parks, our adventure parks at the NEC, and we're opening up new ones around the world. We have the scout staff. We, you know, we have education initiatives. I love it. For me, it's about using this God-given platform we've been given through the TV shows to try and do exactly the same as we do with the TV shows, which is to shine a light on you and say, look what you can do. Will it ever be complete? And, and I hope not. I think um, it's like my bucket list gets longer and longer as I live in life. Yeah, it's not, it's like the more things we could, we could do that and, and we could help do this. And, and I always want to live with that eyes wide open, you know, willing to be all in, willing to fail, willing to put myself up with great people, have that focused mission of trying to empower other people, helping other people to find their adventures in life, whether it's through books or TV shows or whatever, to like be able to go that extra mile, to be able to dig deep, to understand the storms of life come, but sometimes you've got to be dogged and determined to keep going. I want to bring that adventure spirit to people every day I live on this earth. That's the goal. To no end. To no end. I think, I mean, maybe I'll finish the TV shows one day, you know, that, that will naturally end in due course. I can't, 
I mean, to be honest, I never thought I'd still be doing it now, you know, but we're, we're doing more TV shows than ever before. We're doing a new network show on US TV the next month. We're starting season eight of Running Wild. We're, you know, we're still out there gunning it and going, and I love that. But the TV shows will end, but the adventures won't, you know. I, I, God willing, you know, I hope when I'm um, old guy, I'm going to have loads of adventures with my kids and eventually with grandkids and sharing that adventure spirit because... As you know, you know, adventure is truly a state of mind. Whatever you're doing, whatever, you know, my wife always jokes that I'm going to be in the old people's home. Go, come on, come on, we're going to do it, we're going to go over the, you know, and I think that's a state of mind that is about pushing the boundaries and, you know, having that resilience and, and that kind of wide-eyed gratitude for, for life and the connections. And because the truth is the world is amazing and it's a huge privilege. You look at everything that's happening around the world, there's hardship and struggling and battle and, and loss. And the fact that we get to, you know, ha have our families and have something we love to do and, and, and that we're safe and we, we live in this kind of a society that has a rule of law and all these things are so easy to take for granted. We must never take that for granted. We've got to live with that eyes wide open, thank you, and, and keep that adventure state of mind, firing bright, that fire inside, shining bright. Never give up. The, the name of your recent book. Um, this book, I, I got the sense that it was slightly more special than previous books to you and that it had taken five years to write this book, that you wrote it all yourself. Mm. It, is, it took a long time. You know, I was reluctant to write it. I wrote an autobiography called Mud, Sweat and Tears originally. But uh, the truth is, you know, that, and that book did w well, you know, it did 20 weeks at number one and I always kind of felt that I'm, I'm not going to beat that. You know, I'm not going to do another, but we're done. But that book really ended as TV started. And so many of the questions that I get asked by, by my kids and by people in the street, always like the behind the scenes, what was it like on this? What was it like taking that person? Or what about this, the struggles there or whatever? And in a way, they're the stories that I wanted my boys to understand, you know? And, and I think my kids have kind of grown up and seen the good side, seen the, the things that have worked, but aren't always aware of the many failures behind, behind those successes. And I wanted to be able to share all of that and share the things that actually made the difference. And I wanted to write it myself and, you know, be honest in it. And so it took a long time to write, but I'm, I'm really proud of it. And I think it, it was always going to be called Never Give Up. You know, it's at a time where I think the world's coming through and incredibly continues to be an incredibly tough time. And I think that spirit of relentless determination is needed more than ever with all people and young people especially. So I'm proud of the stories and, and uh, proud to call it Never Give Up. When I wrote my book, I, I didn't realise this until I'd wrote it, that it was actually much more a learning process than it was a preaching process. Mm. You, you, because it is a, a journey writing a book. Is there something that you learned that you didn't know before you started on that journey of writing Never Give Up that it, it was profound or a problem you solved from putting pen to paper that, mm. you, that you hadn't solved before that comes to mind? Well, uh, I've definitely learned that for writing or speaking mm. to be good, it has to be difficult. It has to be painful. You know, how often do we see the person who stands up and stands on stage and gives a talk and loves the sound of their own voice? And it's just like, it's a bore. They're a bore, mm. you know. But the person who's, this is hard to articulate or talk about, but for what it's worth, this is where, you know, you're there. And it's the same with writing. I think it's got to be vulnerable and it's got to have that struggle to it. And that's why it took me a while. Mm. <laughs> what do you find? What did you did, feel? 
I, well, yeah, for me, there was a couple of questions that when I started a chapter, I hadn't actually answered them yet. And mm. by the end of the chapter, I'd answered the question, mm. but it was because of that process. Well, is it easy for you to be vulnerable? Are you someone, because we only think of someone that's been in the SAS and this, you know, the, again, they're talking about the, the public stereotype here, tough guy, resilience. Vulnerability seems to be the antithesis of that for a lot of people, the complete opposite. Mm. How have you been, you know, we talk about toxic masculinity a lot now. I sat here with Terry Crews, the, the actor, big tough guy, mm. and his new book, Tough, which is about toxic masculinity. What's your relationship with vulnerability? And well, first of all, Terry Crews, hero <laughs> and one of our running wild guests actually i took him on one last year and he was like with you very honest about some of this stuff um vulnerability was hard initially but i think it's it's where life is you know and like with like when you climb any big mountain you know where you rope to someone 24 hours a day it brings you close but it also is where the bonds are you know and when you when you're vulnerable with someone, it creates a connection. You know, you and me probably feel more connected yeah. by being the vulnerability than the, look at this. Mm -hmm. You know, vulnerability creates bonds and creates strength. But like all these things, there's a pain and a, takes a strength to do it. But I think, um, I'm not scared to show that. You know, I've got nothing to prove and I don't want people to think it's just all heroic. You know, I want, I want people to know that the, that it's a, there's, there's been many struggles through it all, but these things have quietly helped me. And I always think people have two phases of their life. One is like, you don't want the world to see who you really are. You're out there, you project this kind of image. And then the second half is you no longer care. You just want to be honest. And when you're honest, there's, there's an amazing bonds with the really people you want to create bonds with. And some people have that realization at 25 and they live the rest of life in this empowered way. Some people don't reach that point until they're 85. They live the whole life with this mask and it's only when they're with that maybe nurse and a nurse and the first person they're actually being honest and vulnerable and broken with. But you eventually realize it, you know, and, and the goal, I suppose, of life is to get to this place early because it's where the wealth is. It's where the, it's where the happiness is because you're not having to pretend any longer. And you can form those deeper relationships, as you said, which is exactly what happens when we have these conversations. There you go. We have a closing tradition on the podcast, which is our last guest asks a question for the next guest. So the question is, if you had to predict, where will you be this time in five years' time? Wow. The truth is I hope to, I hope to be doing the same sort of thing in the sense that living this mission of trying to empower other people to find their adventures through all these different means, you know, through the TV shows or the books or whatever. You know, I, I love that mission. You know, it, it starts from my relationship with my kids and it extends to scouts and it extends beyond that from there. So I hope to have that same mission, maybe at a slightly slower pace. You know, we film a lot of shows at the moment and it, it's away a lot and it's, you know, it's, it's um, it definitely has full on elements to it. So maybe kind of dial down the pace a bit, but, but um, same mission and, and still protecting family first, you know, beyond before work, before, before even that mission, protect family first and, and keep that, those relationships strong. You know, my body aches every day. I've got many scars, like an old man getting up in the morning. <laughs> but uh, I don't apologise for any of those things. And I think by the end of my life, if I can... Uh, I don't want to arrive in a perfectly preserved body. It's that quote, I want to come skidding in sideways, covered in scars, screaming, <laughs> yo, what a ride, you know. And uh, long may that spirit continue.
Beth, thank you so much for the time and generosity. I've got to say, this does really feel like a huge honor for me because of how infrequently you do anything like this. So I, I just want to communicate how much of an honor this genuinely feels like for me. And I feel very special and I feel like our team are very um, honored to have you here and to have this conversation with you. You're someone that's achieved an unbelievable amount and for you to be so honest and because it would be so easy for you to say, to, to play into the narrative that you have superpowers, but it's almost in, impossible to get you to indulge in that. And as you say, that makes the things you've achieved so attainable for everybody that's listening, including myself. And if it is something that I can learn and grow and a muscle I can build, then that for me is incredibly empowering. And empowerment so, is so evidently at the center of all the work you do with the Scouts, with your new book, Never Give Up, which I highly recommend everybody reads. The paperback is out on the 9th of June, but it's really, you can tell you've written it. You can tell that it's come from a place of real authenticity and someone who is is willing to tell you the truth. And we need a lot more of that. So thank you. I'll never be able to say thank you enough for coming and doing this. And uh, yeah, thanks for the inspiration over the years. You've made you've empowered me just in this conversation. Yeah, I so calm. Well, likewise, you're doing an amazing job. And oh, thank you. Your dad, he will definitely know it. I'm going to I'm going to text him. I'm going to send him a voice note after this. So thank Come you. Ben. Thanks. Take care. one decision away from taking your business to the next level and a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.